Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? I'm looking forward to two things this summer, getting back to the ballpark with my kids and getting the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow back on the calendar. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All we need you to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There is no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow in your community, reach out and let's have a conversation today. Hi, Sherry. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. Uh, I have been watching your stuff. I I think I've got some uh, idea what your opinions are on things, Um, and uh, we just kind of briefed each other on who each other, who we were and where we fit in the world and that sort of stuff. And then we hit the record button, and I hope we're going to have a pretty robust conversation here today. Before we dive into that, how about we just let you introduce yourself to our listeners? Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, if you follow me on LinkedIn here this past, you know, 18 months, I've gotten up on the soapbox a couple times, yes. <laughs> a couple times Good. during this. So I think that's how we've, we've found each other. But uh, in short, uh, I'm talking to you from Chicagoland today, and what I do is I help nonprofit leaders learn how to stop doing the things that actually might be keeping them from growing, or sometimes I say sabotaging the growth because it's really yielding restricted revenue and a lot of restricted revenue. And I help them learn, how would I start securing more unrestricted revenue so I actually can invest in the growth of my organization? And 
really those not just programmatic needs, but operational, administrative, fundraising needs that we have to be investing in to scale and grow. And so I work with leaders all over the country who who are killing it. I always say I work with the best, you know, high performing leaders that come to me and are doing so many things right, but they still need more money. They just still don't have enough money to achieve their mission to that full extent that they want to. So I, you know, I even talked to a guy uh, just, I guess it was at the end of last week. And he said, we have our strategic plan done, but we can't do it because we don't have the money to do it. So that's, that's, that's what I do. So Sherry, it sounds like you and I do a lot of similar work. So talk to me about, before we dive into our conversation, talk to me about that, that leader, who is that leader? Who's reaching out to you and saying, Hey, I want to work with you, Sherry. Who is that leader? I'd say it looks like just a couple different people. I love working with people who, like myself, have come out of corporate and, you know, they're doing lots of things right, but they almost need that. I I call it like a translator to be like, okay, a lot of this is the same, but hold on a second. (laughs) What's this over here? Um, So sometimes I work as that as that translator to say like, yeah, it's like this, but in fundraising, it's this or you know, this is what you're going to hear from, you know, some of the traditional kind of nonprofit misconceptions. And here's frankly where you need to push against them. Um, I work with a lot of uh, groups who, you know, maybe they're it's the uh, you know regional or national director who wants to do a custom training program for their for their regional or um, kind of local fundraising yeah. leaders. Um, but like the best part of my job is is really working with. Um, people who have started organizations or have found themselves yeah. doing what they're doing because like, they're they're amazing. They've never needed to know how to do strategic fundraising. They've yeah. never needed to know how would I sit down and ask that individual for money. You know, their their skill set is something else. And so I always say, you know, I guess it sounds cheesy, but like I get to learn so much about what is going on globally from my clients because. They are experts at that. And so I get to come alongside them and really say, let's let's use that expertise and um and you know really help help it help you convey that to donors and really help you sit down and share what is that need uh that you have to achieve that. So it's really the best job, <laughs> especially yeah, in the last it, the, you know couple of years. It's been really an honor. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of skill development, and that's the kind of stuff that I really get excited about. I work yeah. with a lot of similar clients in the private school space, for example, who are who are, right. who are who would never describe themselves as fundraising professionals. So, you know, they're not the typical person who's maybe even listening to this podcast, but they, they want to develop the skills, the fundraising mm-hmm. skills. And, um, and so it's a different kind of conversation. It's, 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 it's intriguing to sort of hear you describe very similar work. Sherry, yeah. we, um, we always invite our guests to come onto the podcast and have a real conversation. We don't script it. Um, I don't even know what your big idea or bold opinion might be. Um, and I can't even, I don't even know you enough yet, Sherry, to even know, to even guess. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you, you get the privilege of teeing it up. So what's your big idea or bold opinion as it relates to fundraising today? And let's, uh, let's unravel that. I love it. I love this, uh, kind of spontaneous discussion we're having here. Here's what I would say, Jason, you know, a lot of people come to me because they think they're, they're going to fix their revenue trajectory or get on a, a higher growth rate because of the actual like fundraising things they're doing. I need to be more strategic in my events or grants and, you know, and and some of those skills. And 
I agree. Like, you know, there's always room for improvement. We all, we all can improve that. My big idea is that actually I find that growing the revenue trajectory of your organization has way more to do with the leadership's comfort level with investing and spending than sometimes some of the, the revenue generating ideas. What do I even mean by this? Okay. So I have so many people come to me who say, we're not growing. We're, we, we need more money. I just, we, we can't figure it out. We're, we're spent. You know, our, our time, we have no more time in the day. And so I always ask this question and it probably is, if I'm honest, a little bit of a trick question uh, because I'm what I'm digging for when I ask, I'll say, well, what do you need this year? Like, what do you, and they'll say, you mean my budget? Like, yeah. Well, you know, we'd, we'd like to hit that $5 million mark. We'd like to uh, do this. We'd like to be able to hire right? So, well, hold on a second. What, what do you need, right? Have you taken the time to be honest with yourself and really look at not, not only what is your programmatic need, that's probably the easier thing, right? We all, we all know how we want to grow our programs. Yeah. But then have you also been honest with yourself to say, and then here's the operational need I have to grow. I do need a, you know, whatever, a new website. I do need a new I don't know, you know, all the operational things. And then from a fundraising perspective, are we spending enough money that equips our team to make more money Yeah. so that we can put it back into program? And so I find that many fundraisers or CEOs, you know, anybody raising funds to some, some extent really struggle with the, I'm so glad you asked that, Shireen. We have a $5.2 million need this year. Uh-huh. And they, they, they haven't made that um, that shift into really owning what the financial need is of the organization. Now, here's why. It's my big idea. Um, how would you ever put together a fundraising plan or a financing plan or know the activities you should do all year long if you don't know you have a $5.2 million need? How would you ever run a balanced budget? How would you How would you know what to do? And so I have so many people's budget that first week when I say, send me your P&L, send me your budget over. And it might say we have a $5.2 million need, but the top half of that budget says, I don't know, 3.9. I don't know where the rest is coming from. So here we go. We'll just try it. And so I always start with budgeting. And um, even one time I was recording a podcast and the the host was like, you just lost half my audience. Why are you talking about budgeting? I'm like, I'm going to tell you when you get this right, when you really understand what your organization really needs, and I'm not talking triplet, I'm not talking holiday wish list, but this is that these misconceptions in the sector of, uh, Hey, you should be able to do more on less. So don't put that in the budget. Don't invest in that. Don't spend money on that. You're going to, you know, skew the percentages. I don't buy that for a minute because organizations and successful fundraisers know exactly what they need. And then they learn how to align their hours and time with the types of donors and who actually can fulfill that need. Um, and so you've got to know your numbers and you've got to have a plan of how I would hit that. Um, and, and that's when I see successful fundraising start to take off for people when they when they rooted it in the true need and convey and can convey that to their donors. Are you 
So I have oftentimes said, and my guests have heard me say this before, and I've said this in writing as well. I don't think we have a fundraising problem so much as we in this sector have a organizational design and perhaps a professional development problem that plays out in fundraising. Does that make sense to you? That we haven't yes. designed the organization and we haven't developed ourselves professionally. You know, like, for example, what I'm hearing is, is that to start with, we've got to have a certain degree of like a risk tolerance and an ability to write a budget that actually means something. Um, and that if we just focus on the fundraising tactics, I, I, I think a lot of us know how to do galas and golf tournaments and take somebody out to lunch really well and even make that ask. But there's a lot of work that we haven't learned how to do individually and perhaps even collectively that sort of gets us to that place where we can get all that right. Does that make sense? It makes such sense. You're speaking my language. Yeah, yeah it really is. It, you know, I'll say, um, you know, a lot of times the leadership's comfort level with risk yeah. is what might be keeping them from growing. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it, well, that's not in the budget. It's not in the budget, but if that thing helped you raise $500,000 more, is that $500,000 in the budget? Nope. You know, so, so we have to look at both sides of it. So I think a lot of times people come to me and even, you know, the, the CEO who might be doing some fundraising, but they've got an entire advancement team. A lot of time that advancement team has grown up through the ranks and they're great grant writers. They are great event planners. They're, they're great at, at securing contracts or um, digital marketing and that sort of thing. But they've never had to know how to scale an individual giving program, or they've never known what are the exact steps I would take to move from some of these more transactional things that are not bad, right? We all, we, I want them to keep doing them. Yeah. But They've got to invest in themselves. That's a totally different skill set of writing, you know, grants than how would I lead this donor who kind of mails in a $5,000 check every year? I don't know, around Thanksgiving. But we know they're writing $100,000 checks down the road. What are those steps I should take? Yeah. And, and that takes investing in your people. That takes professional development. That takes yeah. skills development. Um, that is not a natural skill set. Um, I mean, I don't even know if yet I've had somebody sign up or, or I've talked to them where I, they've said, I went to school for major gifts fundraising and I, like, I, I know exactly how to do it. I rarely find that in the sector. Um, so it's the, it's the fun part of it too, but I, I agree with you. You know, when, when half of the sector last year went like, ooh, squeezing the budgets, you know, professional development went out the door. Yeah, you know, all of those things that don't <clears throat> seem important, but we've got to be investing in, um, you know, that I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's that it's that really that comfort level with the risk and the comfort level with investing back into the organization. Um, and so how so much of this I, is yeah. so. So one of the things that my listeners keep hearing me say over and over again, and it's certainly intertwined into the new book that I'm talking about. I, I get really excited, as I told you before we hit the record button, I get really excited lately when I talk to my consulting peers. So those that are, you know, that were sort of in this particular age category who sort of have had 20 year fundraising careers, perhaps, and then transitioned into consulting roles like you and I are in now. And it seems like we're telling a different story than perhaps a lot of our predecessors in this space in that 
a lot of getting this right has very little to do with fundraising per se. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't spend a lot of time with my clients and it doesn't sound like you spend a whole lot of your time, especially from the outset of actually talking about fundraising so much is probably working out a lot of other bullshit that gets in the way of doing fundraising really well. Like it's really easy. I don't mean to, uh, to sort of, yeah, I, it's it's easy to sort of plug in another direct mail appeal. It's easy to put another event on the calendar, but that's not particularly strategic. And I don't know that you need to pay you and me to come in and tell you that sort of stuff. Right. It's a whole right. lot more difficult to sit across the lunch table and, re- you know, you and I, or, you know, if I'm your client and wrestle with why risk sort of just scares the jajibis out of this, you know, young CEO. Am I right? Yeah. You know, I, can I tell you, I had this, um, you know, we probably as consultants, like we like to think we're doing it different than everybody else or, you know, yeah. uh, and, and so I had this, um, you know, prospective client come to me. I hope, hopefully I have the job cause I'm excited to work with them, but, um, he was, you know, going out designing an RFP to try to figure out who can help him, him and his, you know, co-founder, um, raise more money. Who, who's the right consultant and fit for that? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, after I spoke to him and I, you know, I think a lot of people probably went straight to, you needed this, you need a campaign, you need, a, you need all <laughs> yeah, these yeah. things. You, and I went to how, okay, but first, can you talk to me about how you're, you approach budgeting every year? Yeah. Can you talk to me about how you are going to double your revenue? All of the more, I would say operational and administrative types of things that if they are not set up right, it's going to be so hard for you to scale. Yeah. And, um, he said to me, and I, I, I'm really like, I guess proud of this. I'll say it. He was like, you sound different than like most people <laughs> and you're, you're not going straight to the fundraising tactics, but yeah. you're really looking at what is actually going to help set our organization up so that we can be efficient fundraisers. And yeah. when we do get to the table with that CFO, you know, who is a successful entrepreneur and has grown a business and knows knows their numbers and how are we going to know all the answers to the questions when we are sitting with that donor and say, I'm so glad you asked that really tough question that I really don't want you to ask, but you know what, let me walk you through that. Let me tell you how we're funded. Now, let me tell you how we think we're going to grow this. I'd love your feedback. And so I, um, I just, I feel like there's, um, you know, maybe my different angle is that I am starting way back at that, um, are you spending enough on overhead? Yeah. You know, and, and to show them a chart to say, here's my client and they came to me and they were spending 92% on program and their revenue was just kind of bumping along. Right. And guess what? Here's the year we, here's the year we, we embraced <laughs> risk and we said, okay, this makes me really nervous. And we said, we're only going to spend 75% on program. Guess what? Cause we're going to, we're going to invest in the growth. We're going to have an intentional year or two of investing in growth. Oh my goodness. Look at the revenue. Right. It's doubled. Yeah. So sometimes I have to do, I don't want to say convincing, but almost to be like, you got this, this is the path before we get to that. You know, then I can teach you how to, you know, have a great donor experience, you know, design that for that person. And okay. I teach you how to ask, teach you, you know, all the things that really aren't as scary as we make them out to be, but You've got to be looking at it from how is this a part of really my business plan? 
Um, how does my fundraising really support? You know, how is it really a financing plan that fully funds my organization? So I've been picking on my clients <clears throat> lately, and I want to get your take on this because it's kind of a continuation of what. So you have this budget conversation, and, and I, I, I totally am right there with you. If if I was having that conversation, the next thing that inevitably comes up for me, Sherry, is I'll be sitting with a CEO and perhaps oftentimes a development director. So you know, you, you know how these meetings go. You're meeting in a local restaurant and you've got the CEO and you've got the, the chief development officer and they're meeting with you and you're having this conversation about perspective, you know, as a prospective client yeah. and working with them, da, 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 da. <clears throat> and I will inevitably ask the question, tell me about the three or four or five or six relationships that you as the CEO. So I'm not directing this question at the chief development officer mm -hmm. and and he or she has generally been spouting off about how remarkable their fundraising operation is. He knows all the keywords. He knows all the buzzwords. He knows that he know he knows about the, he or she knows about the software that they use, et cetera, et cetera. But I say, tell me about a couple of the relationships that you have. And I'm not asking for names and I'm not asking for mm -hmm. dollar amounts, but I got to tell you, Sherry, more often than not, they cannot tell me, they can't tell me a story of a meaningful relationship that they have with mm -hmm. a donor. Have you ever been there? You ever, you ever heard that CEO who just cannot explain to you, yeah, this is what this person is doing. This is what they gave to. This is why they give to it. I just want to right. hear the story. And I'm like, I'm impressed that you have a great database and I really appreciate that you raised that much money on giving day. And I appreciate that you said you're donor centered, but at the same time, if you can't tell me a story about what Mrs. Smith gave to and why she gave to it last Christmas, you know, you, you kind of, it kind of worries me a little bit. Do you know that? Do you know that? I've, I've sat in that lunch. <laughs> right. I've sat in that lunch, Jason. Yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. me, so, tell me what your take is on that client. Well, sometimes, um, you know, when we say build a relationship, yeah, like I actually mean be in relation, like yes, I mean like be in really, relationship. yes, exactly, like really, like uh, yeah. And so, even like an example of that would be, um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I got the meeting with this that one person that I'm we've been dying to get in front of, um, and, and it's like, what do I do? How do I do? It? Like it's just like it goes straight into, um. How do I be fundraising, Sherry? How do I do, how do I yes. be this persona of who I think I need to be? How do I need to answer all the questions? When and sometimes I'll say to my clients, now listen, when you get out of this first meeting, I'm gonna ask you one thing. I'm gonna ask you, did they like you? Right. Were you a human? <laughs> did you passionately share about, you know, what you're doing? Did we get to know each other? Yeah. Um, because then we get the second meeting, which means we get the third meeting and we can actually start having a relationship. Right. And so I think sometimes um, the like, how do we pivot from transactional fundraising to relationship based? It's like, well, how did you get your best friend? Right. You started spending time. You started you know, kind of having this um, like peer conversation, you guys were on equal playing fields and you, it's a win. The relationship really is a win-win for both of you and sit in that. Yeah. S sit in. Um, wow. This person actually, you know, like it, the other thing I'll say is I do, I do lots of mindset work, but you know, go into that meeting saying like, as opposed to, oh, I don't think they're ever going to give to me. Oh, I don't think they'd ever, I don't know. They're going to ask me the tough questions. Your mission is worthy of being supported. 
go in there excited and and assuming that they might actually want to give to you. Yeah. So don't be the thing that actually stands in between them, you know, your organization and them giving to you, right? Because you turned into some version of fundraiser, Sherry, that you shouldn't be. Um, be yourself. So I told I I told again, and even with the how about, how about the fundraiser sitting next? Yeah. So we we did a meeting like my colleague and I did mm. a meeting like this right before the holidays, and I've talked about this before. <clears throat> it just irked me because it, in some ways it was so it was this gentleman and his chief development officer, and she was sitting there, and I thought, man, why do you even work for this guy? <laughs> Mm. because I mean, sometimes it's the chief development officer that you're sitting there thinking, okay, you know how this works and you know that he needs to be at least, you know, calling on a couple of donors every, you know, at least every other week yeah. or so and saying, thank you, something you, you could probably make his job remarkably easy, but he doesn't want to be in relationship with your donors. And it, 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 it almost, it's almost like and she, she happened to have been a, she in this particular case. And I was kept thinking, why do you even work for this guy? Mm. You know, because he's not prioritizing what, 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 what reveal, what was revealed to me in that simple meeting, Sherry, was that he doesn't prioritize fundraising and therefore all her aspirations at doing this job remarkably well are really going to just have to be couched sort of behind his lack of a desire to even right. do this really well. And it seems like if I'm trying to impress upon any, for, for any of my listeners who are in that chief development role, for example, don't work for that guy. Mm-hmm. Who wants to work for that guy? If he doesn't want to be in relationship with donors, he's not going to value you being in relationship with donors. Am I right? So right. And, and that is really going <clears throat> to stifle their growth. That's the sad part. Yeah. Yeah. He said, okay, fine. 10 donors. Okay. Help. Teach me how to do it. Yeah. Ten donors. That not only would help those ten donors, but would help the entire team. It's like, oh, great. This is value. This And, and frankly, it would help the board see how, how it's done, right? It would yeah. want the board involved as well. It's always funny to me. Um, you know, I, I do tons of webinars, and I, really, I enjoy doing webinars. There's always a, a, a development director on the webinar who will, who will ask, um, should I have access to the budget? Should I have access to <laughs> yeah. all of these things? Yeah. And, and, and what I'm hearing in that is kind of maybe this relationship you're describing. It's like, I'm over here leading, you go raise the money. Just, just go raise the money. And so that, that doesn't work. That is not. Oh, that's deep, able, Sherry. Oh, I, yeah, is, yeah. We've all, anybody in our role has heard that question. That's pretty good. I'm sorry. Don't let me interrupt you. But yeah, no, no. That's but good. But it's, it's always like bonkers a little bit to me yeah. because I'm like, A, how would you know what to do as the development director? Yeah. How would you know what you should spend your time on? You know, my model I teach, I want your top 30 donors yielding between yeah. 50 and 75% of the revenue. So, but if we aren't, if you weren't able to sit with those donors and say, well, we have a $5.2 million need. Well, let me tell you, you know, after you've done the story and the mission and like, I'm not saying jump right into numbers, but, but so often, and I see this with boards too. It's like, um, it's very us and them, you know, it's very, we're over here doing the programs and the mission and yeah. running the organization just go, you know, maybe in that scenario, they have three, 3 million coming in from, you know, government contracts or foundation contracts. So just, just go do the rest. Just, just go tell stories. It doesn't work like that. 
that they will never scale at the rate they should be or could be if that really is the mindset of the leader. It's got to be a co-pilot scenario. It's got to be. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. I'm trying to think of all the sort of the um, – <clears throat> Because in the the writing project I'm working on, I was I was sharing this with you before we hit the record button. I, I've started to sort of pick up on the questions that get asked in webinars and breakout sessions and at conferences and so forth. And there's always that question. So, like, you, you, hang on to that question you just referenced. Yeah. Uh, you know, does the C, does the chief development officer, for example, have access to information that, quite frankly, they need to have just in order to raise money really well? But then there's always that question, well, what about the boards and the bosses, right? Like mm. you and I are standing in front of a room and we're saying, and, and what I, what I, what I, I think what I've come to is I've come to the place where if the board, if you have to ask that question, you may be working in the wrong organization because I don't yeah. think a maverick fundraiser, I, I think, I think this is, and I'm getting, I, I think I said this a couple of times in some, in some, you know, LinkedIn uh, chats last week. If, if you're that maverick fundraiser who thinks that you can create such enlightenment for a board and a boss to get how this is all supposed to work, you're probably working in the wrong organization. Am I right? Yeah, I agree with you. Let's talk board a little bit. I mean, I'm going to go back to my budgeting, right? My other little question is, uh, what, what, what role does the board play in the budget? Yeah. And what I'm asking is, they kind of go... Okay, I don't know, 4.9. I don't know. I don't know. Let, let, let's just keep it down here. And good luck, you know, kind of balancing that. Good luck bringing that in, right? Yeah. So, again, it's like we're totally giving the board a pass and, and frankly, um, setting them up for failure. If we are not saying, you know, to start our conversation, here's what really we need, but here's where we want to be. And here's financially what that would take. So, board, again, are you willing to? Feel, I know it feels risky, but to me, it's really calculated risk. Um, are you willing to approve a budget that is 5.2? Okay, great. Now that's 50% of the budget. Now let's talk through the other 50% of the budget. How would we as an entire team bring in 5.2? Yeah. And how would we bring it in efficiently? Yeah. And how would we bring it in aligned with our fundraising hours? Yeah. Right. It's not like, well, you want to raise from 4.2 to 5.2. So whew, that's a lot of you know, <laughs> that's a lot more ap appeals. That's a lot more events. No, no. That means every hour anybody is spending fundraising really has to. We have to make sure that it's pointed at high ROI. We have to make sure it's matched with the activities that are going to yield more money. And so off, so often we say like, OK, well, budget's 5.2. So. Let's just keep doing what we're doing and maybe push a little harder, a little bit more elbow grease. And, and that is giving everybody a very faulty plan to start with. And so I always say, if you're trying to get your board to start fundraising, I said, spend just as much time in that budget approval meeting talking <clears> to <throat> the income plan yeah. from a financial perspective. Yeah. How would we bring it in? Not a list of appeal brings in this, event brings yep, in yep. this, con but what does it look like per donor segment per month? And then let's talk, then let's equip the staff and team and the board with what their hours should look like. And so if, when you can learn how to set your need, create a financing plan that's aligned with your hours, 
and then break free <laughs> from yeah. old things that you need to stop doing and start and, and invest in learning how to do the new things, you know, individual gift cultivation being one of them often, that's when, that's when successful fundraisers start or organizations, I would say that are fundraising successfully start growing because they've really had some of these honest upfront, everybody's on the same page conversations. And I always say like, if, if your area of growth is, let's just say major gifts and you want that to grow from, maybe it's very small, maybe it's 250,000. You want it to grow to 500,000. And that doesn't get solved by the board members doing a Facebook fundraiser. That doesn't get solved by, oh, good, I'll go try to get auction items for our event. No, like those are mismatched opportunities, yeah. uh, activities. Yeah. If, if your board member is going to give you one hour a month outside of the meeting, it sure as heck better look like a step in a major gift cultivation opportunity. Okay, Sherry. Okay. <clears throat> so I say all the time. You just sat up in your chair. I'd see it. <laughs> <laughs> I say. Okay, okay. I say all the time. I say all the time that I think fundraising's in the in it in the midst of its messy adolescence. And remember back in high school, and, and this is kind of helping me conceptualize listening to everything that you've said thus far and sort of thinking through where, cause I never know where these conversations are going to go. I told you at about a half hour in yeah. I'd get warmed up, but remember, remember in high school, like your junior year, junior, senior year, you had one of those teachers who kind of set the bar a little higher with a level of expectation. He or she was basically setting the expectation similar to what he or she assumed we would encounter, for example, in college and yeah. it totally changed the way that we <laughs> as high school students sort of learned and we saw the world differently. It was my economics professor, for example, did this for us mm -hmm. my senior year in high school. And I kind of wonder if that's where we're at is that the profession is just itching for these, for people like you and I to stop sort of teaching freshman and sophomore year level stuff, whatever that stuff is. And, and we're sort of at that, you know, we're the upper class where the profession is sort of at an upper classman level sort of place. And we've got to start asking our clients to kind of wrestle with some other stuff. It, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Other than me having some flashbacks to braces <laughs> and my permed, like giant hair. <laughs> I think so. I think, um, you know, I keep telling people, like, don't waste the crisis that was our last 18 months. Yeah. Um, push into <clears throat> those things that like you've had in the back of your mind, but then, oh, I don't know. I don't see anybody else doing it that way, but it would make more sense to do it that way. Or like, push into those things because yeah. that, those things are actually what's going to scale your organization. Um, just, you know, I, I always say this phrase and it could apply to a gazillion things in life, but it's like, what should we stop doing? That's really not helping us. It's not benefiting us, but then what, what should we start doing that actually would be different and would be, you know, would really get us on that path to investment level gifts. And so I couldn't agree with you more to me, like there's never been a better time to say, I'm not going back to doing it how we used to do it. Right. We're going to do things differently. And let me tell you why. Because for me to change my program, serve more people, serve serve the greatest ways that I have done the last 18 months as, as a nonprofit leader and 
feeding people and giving people homes and everything we've needed. Yeah. Um, we can't do more on less and we can't do it without a reserve fund and we can't do it with only being half staffed and we can't do it. Um, not spending money. Yeah. Yeah. And so it has proved it. What yeah. more do we need to prove it yeah. on the soapbox now, Jason, but, but there, there's nothing. Let's use that. And so are, let's say, are we looking for basically higher, higher. Yeah. So if you, if you think about the meeting that I was having there with the, the prospective client, they never yeah, became yeah. my client. I think they knew I'd scare the shit out of them, <laughs> quite frankly, but you're going to push them too hard. But, yeah. That, but push them too hard. That's all I was going to do. And what mm-hmm. it really came down to is I don't think that sh- the two of them, I don't know who was more guilty of, of just having low expectations of themselves and each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're at a place and I feel like what you're saying in between the lines and what, what this conversation is sort of simmering around is we all just need to sort of step up our game and have higher expectations of ourselves and of people that are in the roles that you and I are in and of our donors. It's like, it's like I just had a meeting with a, a woman here this morning and, and I think everything that the conversation sort of simmered around is that our profession is sort of begging for this opportunity to sort of step up to the plate and demonstrate higher levels of expectations of ourselves and our donors. Yeah, I love that. I, so, so many things I could say, but what I want to say to that, because I'm glad, so glad you brought the donors in and having high expectations yes, for our yeah. donors, because we even saw that in the last year where it was like, oh, I'm sure they wouldn't do that. Oh, I'm sure they wouldn't give that much. <clears throat> so much money is left on the table because we, in our sometimes scarcity mindset, yeah. all these things, we then are making all these decisions for our donors and they're, they're dying to give more. They're dying to understand. I have a two, I have a $5.2 million need. Yeah. Can I share with you yeah. what, 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 what that, what an investment would do. They're dying for that information. And so, so, we can expect a lot from our donors. And here's why I know it. They have stepped up to the plate this last year. Yes, they my, have. My clients have never gotten this many six figure gifts in their lives. And it's been a little like, Oh, that person can do that. Yeah. Right? Well, well, if we were in the mindset before of, I don't want to offend them. I know they give 25 K last year. Let's only ask them for 30. I don't, don't tick them off. <laughs> they were sitting there dying to write a hundred thousand dollar check. Right. Right. So let's have, let's all come together and have the expectations that it takes more to do more. And, and especially to solve giant problems. Yeah. You know, the sector is solving. Yeah. So let's all, let's all operate on that and, and move into the change. This is your window. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I, I think it's remarkable. So we just, our local community just wrapped up our local give day and we raised $3.7 million. This is wow. what my colleague and I were talking about this morning. And she and I, we have a major gift sort of bent to our fundraising careers. And so we know how to look at that goal and see the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of donors that participated in all that additional opportunity that sort of flows from that. And I think it's part of, it's, it's that, it's that scarcity mindset that sort of, when you look at those numbers that happen on your give day or giving Tuesday or whatever, if you're looking at that number that that donor gave as if that accurately portrays sort of what the opportunity is, you're missing it. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and then that also leans into the notion of risk. I mean, if you can't pick, if that person gave you $500 on giving Tuesday 
and you can't take the risk on the chance that that maybe that is completely representative of their giving capability, but it might not may just be a complete fraction of what they're willing to give. If you'll just take the risk of picking up the phone. Right. And let them tell you that. And let them tell you, you that. Yes. You don't get to make that decision. Right. You know, Kip, there's this phrase. I'm actually going to write about it here in my uh, my mailers this, this month. And you'll probably see it on LinkedIn. But I was listening to this podcast. I had a unexpected, like, long drive. And I was like, oh, good. I can listen to this podcast. And uh, Bobby Rebel was on there. And she's a financial planner uh-huh. and, you know, really kind of helps entrepreneurs, um, become comfortable with money, you know, money and investing and that sort of yeah. thing. But she used this phrase and I'm like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. I'm going to give her credit, but I'm, I'm going to really run with it because she said, um, we have this tendency, um, and she called it irrational frugality. It's irrational. It's like, they couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, from an income standpoint, or we couldn't spend that. That's crazy talk. You know, <laughs> we, I couldn't spend a hundred dollars on a pair of what, no, hold on a second. Like we're being completely irrational. You know, you have the money, you know, the path, you know, it, it, so it's like we, all these money things go in our mind and we become irrationally frugal. When yeah. We don't need to be. And she was using personal examples, but I thought, how many times have I seen, like, we couldn't ever do that, but like, it's keeping people from raising money or keeping them from asking for more. I love this phrase. It's like, I just, it so resonated with me in, in so many different, different levels. Are you teaching? So, okay. So I just finished a book. Um, her last name is Schultz and it's called being wrong. And, and she has what, so she's talking about how, we have ingrained into our society this, the, what it, what she refers to sort of a pessim, I think I, I'll get the words wrong, but she basically it's a, it's a pessimistic and an optimistic view on being wrong. And I think what we have embraced, when you think about this scarcity mindset that you and I totally get as it relates to giving Tuesday, for example, um, it also is ingrained with this pessimistic view of being wrong. So when you look at that, when you look at that $500 gift, we don't want to take the the more optimistic chance on perhaps being wrong that that could or could not be actually consistent with what that person's giving. And so to ask that question, we don't want to be wrong. And so we just never ask. Right. But that is, right. and so, and I've been thinking about this notion. It's like, we ought to be teaching being wrong in our seminar, you know, like you and I ought to be hosting webinars on teaching fundraisers how to optimistically approach being wrong mm. because it's more of an exploratory sort of way of finding out whether Mrs. Smith can give you, give you five times as much money as she gave you at, on Giving Tuesday. Right. And how would you ever know? If you don't lean it, you don't, you would if you never don't know lean that. In. Hey, hey, I like that webinar idea. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> But I, it's it's kind of a cousin comment to, well, hey, if they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, my response is like, cool. Now, now we have a reason to get to call them back. Now we have a reason to get back in front of them. You know, I love that question. I haven't been asked it in a while. I'll circle back with you. Let me run. Let me run the numbers and get back to you here in a week or two. Oh, wonderful. Now you have a reason to actually be in relationship and call them back. You know, where it's you know usually it's. I hope the finances don't come up. I hope the percentages don't come up. I hope the numbers don't come up because I'm not going to know the answers. 
And my my response to that is perfect. <laughs> you know, know as much as you can, but that's a wonderful reason to to go say to be vulnerable and say, I love that question. And let me understand why you're asking it. That the root of that question is perhaps what's going to keep that donor from giving their best gift later yeah, on. Yeah, right. So solve that, answer that, get that right there. Welcome it. Welcome it. It's going to help you raise more money. Do we? I love that, Jason. Do we, do we teach? Okay, so back to the example I was describing those two, um, the, the CEO and the chief development officer. Does she have his, the chief development officer? Is she the one who's got to hang up with being wrong or is it his being wrong? What do you think there? Cause, cause as, as I, I have, <clears throat> so my first book was all about helping fundraisers in some ways discern between these two organizational cultures that sort of play out and how we, we oftentimes show up in these jobs that undermine our abilities to get the job done. And so I think we've got to be better at discerning whether or not we're even going to be set up to be successful from the get go. Mm. So do you think, and I tend to think that fundraisers, if they've been given healthy experiences, have learned how to be wrong about things. And so they learn how mm-hmm. to utilize that to their advantage. Um, you know, I don't mind asking questions that perhaps I get told I'm wrong about. Um, is it the CEOs or is it the chief development officers that have issues with being wrong? More often you know, than not. More on the Yeah, I think more, I'm thinking of examples here in my head. I think more often on the development director side, Sometimes it's sad because it's like, but I don't have the information. Yeah. So it feels like I'm, you are sending me into a vulnerable situation where I'm going to do my best, but I don't really have all the information. Yeah. I wonder if it's, it's rooted a little bit in that. Um, By the way, the the word, the author, uh, Schultz is her name. She, she uses the word vulnerability next to the idea of being optimistic about wrongness. It's like one in the same. Mm. You, you've got to be able to sort of. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, you've got to be one. able to put. Uh, you got to be able to put sort of wrongness on the table. Make yourself vulnerable, and 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 see where it goes. Yeah, I think one of the vulnerable mindset things I often work with people on is, you know, if sometimes we have to get into this mindset of the donor is not giving to your organization, right? They are giving a gift to your mission. Yeah. And actually your organization is just the structure that's stewarding a charitable asset. You know, the IRS says that, you know, a donor is giving to a mission, like they're giving their charitable asset to a mission. Yeah. And you have been proven to be that group who you are then going to steward that money so that that mission happens. Yeah. You know, the, the opposite of that would be if I'm running a literacy organization and you gave me a hundred thousand dollars and I go out of business tomorrow, I can't take that $100,000 and go build a well in another country. Right. You've, you've given that money as a charitable asset to achieve a mission. And so I'm stewarding it. Sometimes like that helps with that kind of feeling and, and vulnerability thing, because it's like, um, you know, don't take it so offensive. <laughs> you don't know the answer to something like your job is really just to steward that gift to the best of its ability and not be in your personal hangups of, um, you know, are they saying that because they don't think we're worthy of that? No, they've given you a gift to steward that through. And so sometimes we have to do a little ego check maybe to yeah. like that the we're down here and our job is to steward 
a donor's charitable asset according to what we said we would. I, I like sometimes I like that high, thinking of hierarchy that really helps me get in a better mindset so that I can be a little more relaxed in those conversations. Yeah, I, I've most of my guests have heard me talk about the idea that I think that we learn many fundraising professionals. We learn the skills that I think are, that make us the best in fundraising are oftentimes the skills that we learn from our mothers rather than our fathers. And I think when we think about when we when I think about being wrong, I think those are, that's that's where that vulnerability and that honesty and sort of just putting our showing up showing. And I had I talked to two women, for example, last week, and a lot of our colleagues are women, for example. And I think if we just show up as ourselves and we, and we learn how to sort of lean into that optimistic sort of view of being wrong, and perhaps we just sort of set aside all this mechanical fundraising stuff, we could probably be remarkably better at this work. Don't you think? So much better. I will tell you, I took this amazing course. I tell everybody about it last year. And it was, it was with a voice coach. Not that I, you know, not that I'm a singer, but she, <laughs> what she works on is um, psychology of the voice, you know, really helping me be in the now. Yeah. And so that I'm not thinking in the past. Oh, I don't know. That happened last time. And I'm not thinking in the future. Oh, they're never going to do that because that actually comes out in your voice. Uh, right? How, how you, how you sound. Yeah. So this was you know, I did it for myself and, you know, cause I was doing 9 million webinars and stuff last yeah. year, but it has been transformational in the way I coach fundraisers, because if you are not in the now and you are worried about, Oh no, I don't have enough donors in my pipeline. And I think they're going to say no. And so I, I know I was going to ask them for 25, but I'm just going to ask them for 10 because I'm that one donor, you know, said no last year. And I don't think they're going to say no this year. Like, Stay in the now because your donors can hear that. It, it takes a level of vulnerability to stay in the now and to trust that you're an expert and what's going to come out of your mouth is adequate and more than enough. But I got to tell you, it is a game changer in fundraising and I've loved integrating. Some oh, of these you're going to have to unpack that some more. Where do you go? Oh, if, where do you go if so you're not good. in the now? So for, for example, and, I'll t- and this is a, this is called a Tracy Goodwin psychology of the voice. Okay. Just captivate the room is the name of her um, program. But so, so, it, it, so if I'm a fundraiser and I'm trying to just form a deep relationship with somebody and, and I'm having a lunch, right? It's, it's not high pressure. Yeah. If I'm not in the now, if I'm not just staying present, I might be thinking of, Last time I had um, a lunch with, you know, their colleague, <clears throat> they said all these great things too, but they never deliver. Right. They never have, you know, they, they say they'll, they're interested in the mission, but then they just like mail in a hundred dollar check. Like, and so then you're thinking you're kind of like almost trying to prove yourself, right? Why you're worthy. And that comes out in the future. It would be, um, I don't know. I don't think this person is ever going to give that big gift. And I saw that they, you know, I saw their name on this plaque and it's yeah. a giant gift, but yeah. I don't know. They, they looked at me weird. And so I don't know. I don't, I don't think they're ever going to, so I guess I'll just settle. Like those things come out in how you sound. They come out in how you act. And so if you, does really it come out work, in the way that we write as well? Right. Everything. It comes out everything. of all forms of communication. Okay. Because then we're being apologetic. 
I'm just reaching out to see if maybe you would want to come and join me for the tour. And I know you're busy, but yeah. I hold on a second. We're making decisions that the donor doesn't want to go on a tour. Yes. It's too busy for us. What if they're dying to go on a tour? What if they're not too busy for us? So, I mean, I, I you know, oh, I love staying it. in the now is this is, it was life changing. This, this program, I, I, I really love it. Loved it. Tracy Goodwin's her name. Um, it's it was it's been so transformational because you can hear it you can hear when the tone of your voice changes and we speed up and we say okay well so then i was going to see if you could maybe consider giving it <laughs> right because you're you're speeding up you know what Stand they're doing out. you know what they're doing okay so it's it's this predictive impulse i think we have mm. made we have made fundraising so damn predictive that we don't know how to. The title of my new book, everybody else who's been listening knows that it's coming out in the fall. We don't know how to exist in an unpredictable sort of context. And so we couch things with a certain degree. And we're always sort of probing either whether whether it's coming out of the data that we, we pull together or whatever. But we're trying to sort of predict how this is going to work. And we just don't know how to sort of be in the moment and be present and take sort of that. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. And my wife would love it too. Sherry. <laughs> so, it's so good. There's a you're, spirit, you're, you know, there's a spiritual, comp- <laughs> I don't know where you are in the spiritual side of things, but there, there's a spiritual component to that too. That that's, that's right. my, my wife it's has a been faith element, right? Yeah. There's a faith element, right? Being present and being present with people and not trying to sort of not living in the past, which is part of what you just said and not living in the future. Like, where is this going to go? But just being wholly present um, we talk about that in faith-based communities, like yeah. all the time lately. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. Like I, like you know, I'm an evangelist for this approach. But, yeah. You know, my husband would tell you I only allow pre-approved surprises. Yeah. Like I need to approve everything. Wait, wait, what are we doing? Okay, but is that like I, I can't like you know? So it, I have to. I took this to, to for myself, right? I got to take my own medicine. Um, <clears throat> and it's but it's consistent work, and I got to tell you it's really helped me in coaching people to who maybe don't feel like they're natural fundraisers or they feel like they have to be some version of themselves. Yeah. Like, I just want you, Jason, to show up. To show up. Yeah. You be Jason. And that is going to be the best connection. That is going to be a win-win for the donor and the mission and the organization. Um, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the best outcome because you've taken the time to do that authentic, and you're you're and you're also signaling to the donor that they can show up too. Show up. Yeah, you're you're also and I'm not saying. In a hurry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's so many different times when I think we show up in a very. Uh, I've told this story before, but my my Danielle and I show up to meet with these major donors while I was at the Epilepsy Foundation. We're you know. Fifth Avenue, penthouse apartment sort of thing. And the donors at one point early in the meeting said, why don't you guys just shut up and sit back and relax? (laughs) (laughs) Because they they knew we were so uncomfortable because we had never been in this context. Um, This was new for us to working together. Um, It was just totally and they And they basically just said, relax and sort of because we had been there probably a half hour and we had not showed up yet. And they just wanted us to show up and relax. Right. Right. And it's, you know, it, I always say it's, it is tough to get into that zone if we don't have enough, if we're not doing enough pipeline work. Right. Because then it's like, 
but we got to get this gift because we like, we, we got to hit our number. We got to, yeah. You know, so anytime we're feeling that pressure, you know, like I got to come out of this meeting with this number. I say, hold on, hold on. Let's go back to pipeline work. Yeah. That helps you stay in the now. Cause then you know, you have enough. If you don't get this in the future, it's okay. Cause you're doing the pipeline work that helps you stay in the now. It's a game changer. Sherry, we could keep going probably for another hour <laughs> or two, but we lose our listeners in an hour. So before we wrap up here, I want to give you an opportunity to tell people how they can find you. I'm sure you've got a website. We'll put your information in the uh, show notes, but uh, where do I, people find I you? I do. Well, my name is Sherry Quam Taylor. So my website is quamtaylor.com. You can hop on there, contact me. I've got a white paper I launched at the beginning of the year. It's called the, the problems with traditional fundraising and what to do instead. And so hop on there. It's been pretty popular. And who is the person you want to hear from? I kind of asked that question at the beginning of the bit, but who is, when I talk to my fellow consultants, I'm always curious to know who's the person that you most enthusiastically, if they reached out to you like today, who's that person you want to hear from? Oh, I love that question. You know what? My favorite clients are people who have left corporate and have, you know, and are doing awesome work yeah. running organizations, yeah. you know, 5 million, 10 million, and 20, 20 million, but they still need more money. There's still like a little something to fix. Yeah. And, um, and they need help. They need some object objectivity. They need help looking at their organization from a different perspective and really be a thought partner in, 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 in setting up this financing plan so they can start raising more money and then helping them teach their staff. How do we, and align our hours with dollars. Uh, that is my most fun thing to do. Um, so, so that's who I would say. And so we speak the same language, but also uh, there's a little therapy that happens, you know, in that relationship too. That's what I love. Sherry, it has certainly been a pleasure. You are always welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.